Hello and welcome to the 716 new members of the Curiosity Tribe who have joined us since Friday. Join the 32,004 others who are receiving high-signal, curiosity-inducing content every single week. Today's newsletter is brought to you by Tegas. Tegas has been a complete game-changer for my research and learning process. Tegas is the leading platform for primary research. It offers a searchable database of thousands of instantly available investor-led interviews with experts on a wide range of industries, companies, and topics. It's fast and cost-effective, enabling you to do great primary research without breaking the bank. As a special offer, Tegas is offering a free two-week trial to all Curiosity Chronicle subscribers. Sign up at the link in the newsletter to level up your research game today. Now, on to the newsletter. Incentives. The failure and the fix. Show me the incentive, and I'll show you the outcome. Charlie Munger. Incentives are everything. An uber-powerful force governing our interactions, organizations, and society. Well-designed incentives have the power to create great outcomes. Poorly designed incentives have the power to, well, create terrible outcomes. Unfortunately, humans are astonishingly bad at establishing incentives. We consistently create systems that invite manipulation and unintended consequences. More often than not, we wind up in the poorly designed camp, scrambling for answers and quick fixes. Let's change that. In today's piece, I will share a framework for establishing incentives that actually create desired outcomes. Incentives, the failure. Let's start with a basic definition of incentives. Incentives are anything that motivates, inspires, or drives an individual to act in a specific manner. They come in two forms, intrinsic and extrinsic. Intrinsic incentives are internal, created by self-interest or desire. Extrinsic incentives are external, created by outside factors, typically a reward, positive incentive, or punishment, negative incentive. For today, we'll be focusing on extrinsic incentives. In a very simple model, extrinsic incentives involve two key components. Number one, measure. The metric that the individual or group will be judged upon. The measure can be quantitative, KPIs, metrics, etc., or qualitative. Number two, the target. The level of the measure at which a reward or punishment will be initiated. The target can be specific. You receive your incentive if the KPI hits X level. Or general. You receive your incentive if your manager is satisfied with your work. But there is a real problem here. This simple model of incentives, which will feel familiar if you have ever worked in the government, a large organization, or anywhere really, often leads to undesirable outcomes and unintended consequences. Enter Goodhart's Law. Goodhart's Law is quite simple. When a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. If a measure of performance becomes a stated goal, humans tend to optimize for it, regardless of any associated consequences. The measure loses its value as a measure. Goodhart's Law is named after British economist Charles Goodhart, who referenced the concept in a 1975 article on British monetary policy. Quote, Any observed statistical regularity will tend to collapse once pressure is placed upon it for control purposes. Charles Goodhart. But the concept was popularized by anthropologist Marilyn Strathern. In a 1997 paper, she generalized the thinking and called it Goodhart's Law. Quote, when a measure becomes a target, 
it ceases to be a good measure. Marilyn Strathern. It became a mental model with considerable practical relevance, a phenomenon that has been observed time and again throughout history. Let's look at a few examples and use them to build a mental model for where incentives go awry. The cobra effect. There were too many cobras in India. The British colonists, worried about the impact of these deadly creatures, started offering bounties for cobra heads. Locals excitedly began breeding cobras, chopping off their heads, and turning them in to earn the bounties. When the breeding got out of hand, some of the breeders were forced to release the cobras onto the streets, thereby increasing the population of cobras. Clearly not what the British had in mind. The British viewed cobra heads as a simple way to measure cobra elimination, so it gave the population an incentive to deliver cobra heads. The result? Locals gamed the system, breeding cobras to earn the bounties. An incentive designed to reduce the cobra population actually increased it. Soviet Nails In order to meet their ambitious goals, the Soviets needed to produce more nails to fuel their industrial complex. First, Soviet factories established incentives based on the number of nails produced. What happened? The workers produced thousands of tiny nails. Nevertheless, they persisted, adjusting the incentives to be based on the weight of the nails produced. That should fix the tiny nails problem. What happened? The workers produced a few massive nails. In both cases, the nails were useless. The Soviet factory managers had viewed nail quantity and nail weight as easy ways to measure production, so they gave their workers incentives based on these measures. The result? A bunch of useless nails. Amazon's hire-to-fire issue. Amazon believed employee turnover was healthy. From the early days, they had created a culture where the bottom 10% should be scrubbed annually in order to continue to upgrade the talent level of the organization. To incentivize healthy employee turnover rates, it gave its managers a target rate for annual turnover. The result? Media articles about a hire-to-fire practice emerged. Managers had allegedly hired employees they planned to fire in order to meet their turnover targets. Clearly not what Jeff Bezos had in mind. Wells Fargo Account Openings Wells Fargo is a new inductee of the Unintended Consequences Hall of Fame, an instant classic. Senior leadership of the bank viewed new account openings as an easy way to track business growth, so it gave its junior employees target account opening goals. Employees would be pushed to hit these goals or risk punishment. The result? Employees opened millions of fake accounts to hit their targets, and Wells Fargo was fined billions for the fraud. A mental model for broken incentives. With these examples as a backdrop, we can begin to formulate a simple, rough mental model for where incentives seem to go awry. Poorly designed incentives typically exhibit one or more of the following three characteristics. The McNamara fallacy, narrow focus, and vanity over quality. The McNamara fallacy. The McNamara fallacy is named after Robert McNamara, the U.S. Secretary of Defense from 1961 to 1968, whose over-reliance on quantitative metrics led the U.S. astray during the Vietnam War. The McNamara fallacy is the flawed assumption that what can't be measured isn't important. It is the tendency to make a decision based on observable quantitative metrics while ignoring all others. It leads to a focus on measuring what is easy to measure versus what is actually important. 
Cobra heads, nail quantity or weight, employee turnover, and new account openings were all easy to measure quantitatively, but totally missed the bigger picture. All four programs were victims of the McNamara fallacy. Note that I plan to do a full thread and newsletter piece on the McNamara fallacy in the future, as it's a topic worthy of deeper discussion. Narrow focus. The narrow focus issue is an objective scoping issue. If you think too narrowly about the desired outcomes of the program, you're more likely to create incentives that miss the forest for the trees. Using the Wells Fargo example, the desired outcome was not to have more accounts opened at the bank. More appropriate would have been to define the desired outcome as growth in the number of happy, well-serviced customers. As a rule, when in doubt, zoom out. Vanity over quality. Vanity metrics. We've all seen them and probably cared too much about them. The reliance on vanity metrics, like Cobra heads or new account openings, that will impress superiors or the public is a recipe for disaster in incentive design. Imagine incentivizing a brand's social media manager on the number of followers of the account. That person is likely to start buying followers in order to hit these targets. The vanity metric is rarely the quality metric. So with these in mind, let's craft a better framework for incentives. Incentives, the fix. The incentive framework involves six key pillars. Objectives, metrics, anti-metrics, stakes and effects, skin in the game, and clarity and fluidity. It is intended to provide a structure through which to create, evaluate, and adjust incentives. Let's walk through each of the pillars. Number one, objectives. Deep consideration of the ultimate objectives of the incentives is critical. What does success look like? This isn't about the surface level objectives. You need to go deeper. Without upfront deep thought on objectives, intelligent design is impossible. Start here before moving on. Metrics. Establish metrics that you will measure to track success. Importantly, be sure to avoid the McNamara fallacy. Never choose metrics on the basis of what is easily measurable over what is meaningful. Just because it's easy to track a specific KPI doesn't mean it's the right KPI to use as a measure. If you could track and measure one metric that would tell you everything you want to know about your business or organization, what would it be? Identify a wish list of metrics with no regard for feasibility. Work backwards from there into what is possible. Number three, anti-metrics. Even more important than the core metrics, establish anti-metrics that you measure to track unintended consequences. I was first tipped off this idea by Julie Zhu. She calls them countermetrics, who has done some exceptional thinking and writing on the topic of organizations and growth. Anti-metrics force you to consider whether your incentives are fixing one problem but creating another. In the Amazon example, an effective anti-metric may have been average tenure of newly hired employees by cohort. If you saw this figure dipping dramatically from the start of the employee turnover incentive program, you would know something was wrong. Number four, stakes and effects. As with all decisions, it is critical to understand and consider the stakes. High stakes are costly failure, difficult to reverse. Low stakes cheap failure, easy to reverse. If you're dealing with a program with high stakes, you have to conduct a rigorous second-order effects analysis. 
Iterate on your metrics and anti-metrics accordingly. Number five, skin in the game. To avoid principal agent problems, more on that in the future, the incentive designer should have skin in the game. Never allow an incentive to be implemented where the creator participates in the pleasure of the upside, but not the pain of the downside. Skin in the game improves outcomes. And finally, six, clarity and fluidity. An incentive is only effective as one, the clarity of its dissemination, and two, the ability and willingness to adjust it based on new information. Key takeaway, create an even understanding playing field for all constituents and avoid plan continuation bias. Conclusion. So to recap the fix, my framework for incentives is as follows. Objectives. Identify what success looks like. Go deep on the ultimate objectives of the program. Metrics. Establish metrics to track success. Never settle for what is easy to measure over what is meaningful. Anti-metrics. Establish anti-metrics to determine if solving one problem is creating another. Stakes and effects. Always consider the stakes, high or low, and adjust the rigor of your second-order effects analysis accordingly. Skin in the game. Avoid principal agent problems by ensuring the incentive designer has skin in the game, i.e. participates in both the pleasure and the pain. Clarity and fluidity. Incentives are only as good as the clarity of their dissemination and the ability to adjust based on new information. I hope you found this framework as productive and helpful as I have. I'd love to see some comments from you all about your experience with it and any tweaks you would suggest. That does it for today's newsletter. I hope you'll join the 32,000 plus others who are receiving this high signal, curiosity-inducing content every single week. And until next time, stay curious, friends.